Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 682 of the Milk Bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And coming up on the show this week, Dr. Sarah Jarvis will be along to talk about some health issues. We'll be talking about some environmental issues with a health practitioner from Warsaw's Manor Hospital. Uh, also on top of that, uh, we'll be catching up with Susie Dent as we're finding out some of the words that people love and hate that have made their way into their language. Also, we'll be hearing from Robert Lane as we find out about a fantastic improv night coming to the Lighthouse at the end of July. And on top of that, we'll be joined by Tristan Jackson-Pate of the Sherwell Theatre Company. They have a fantastic show, which is a sort of autobiographical in many ways of Tristan, uh, which is going to be on stage in August. That's all coming up on the show this week. <laughs> You Are My Sunshine is now available on DVD, the award-winning film produced in the Midlands and with a cast who are absolutely awesome and a great team behind it too. Dave Hastings is here to tell us more. Hello, sir. Hello. How are we doing? I'm very, very hot. It's, it's, well, it's, it's been one of those warm hot. weeks, isn't it, this week? I don't think we it's have any choice. Um, However, it's a good job it wasn't this warm when you were filming because that, that would have uh, spoiled things a little bit, but... A, a yeah. labour of love over a number of years, and now finally you have a real physical DVD copy of it. Yeah, uh, you yeah, happy? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm. I'm over the moon. Um, it's it's. Um, yeah, it was just it's just really nice. It's more so for the the cast and the crew. I'm just so overwhelmed for them and stuff because all their hard work and patience and effort and everything has come into this nice little um nice little package now so it's um, it's first class storytelling that people are going to want to own which is the thing as well and thank I, you. It, it, it legitimizes it being on dvd in many ways streaming is is streaming and yeah okay i know it's what's taken the world by storm but when mm. you've got something you can put on the dvd collection shelf at home actually it, it feels real doesn't it 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 does yeah um you know and and it's one of those things I, I it's a new thing for me this is i i usually we end up distributing our own stuff so we kind of make the the discs and everything and stuff but you know this time tla obviously bought the rights to it and they've been doing all this stuff with it and you know obviously looking at the dvd yesterday and stuff they've done a fantastic job of it and you know they've been getting it out into the world and and i i can't thank them enough they've been you know so wonderful with us and you know, keeping us up to date with what's going on and, and things like that. So I've, I've not really had to worry. I know it's in the best place um, with people who actually care about it and will just want it out there like we do. Yeah, and I mean, obviously as well, the, those who've been seeing the timeline will have noticed a French version of the DVD case. Too. Yeah, yeah, that was um, that was a bit surprising. Um, I didn't actually know about that one. That was quite surprising. Um yeah, it's it's yeah, it's been it's been a, a magical journey, and and it long may it continue, and stuff where it's now out of our hands and in the hands of people who can watch it now, and it's going to go off and have its own life, and hopefully people will enjoy it. So. Well, yeah, well, that, that's that's what it's about. Though it's about putting it in an accessible place, uh, yeah. and so there's something that people can pick up, and it's a very reasonable price on Amazon. Now, is the French version dubbed into French as well? No, I think it's just subtitled. Uh -huh. it's just from what i've gathered it's subtitled yeah 
But I mean, that, that's nice in itself as well. And uh, I, I'm very grateful to you for the fact that the interviews we've done throughout the run up to this, you've included as DVD extras too. Yeah, well, it was, you know, it's our way of saying thanks to you. You know, you've always supported us and stuff. And to get you a bit of um, exposure on a DVD and stuff, then great. It's quite exciting. I should be picking up my copy from Amazon. But yeah. uh, it, it is, yeah, again, as we said, it's, it's about the team that have come together to make this. It's a story that you believe in, the, uh, the way you've, mm. you, you've told it. And you've got a brilliant team around you who've helped to do that. And everything from the, yeah, the director of photography through the, the, the way in which it's been so well costumed. And that is, again, something that hasn't been easy to do based on the, on the yeah. nature of the time travelling backwards and forwards in the film. But being able to tell where you are and when you are have been important. And again, this is something that's come across so well. And people can now, uh, once you are on, on TV, the inner streaming service, it's not like seeing it at the cinema where people yeah, could uh, watch linearly. They can now yeah. freeze frame and look in detail at these things. And people yeah. will, that's the thing. Yeah, there's a few things I know in there that I could freeze frame and kind of go, oh, I know what that is. Um, but, you know, I won't I won't tell people where to look for that and stuff. They can find it in their own time. Um, but, you know, it's, it's just a case of, you know, we, we don't have a massive budget for these things. You know, all of us are volunteers on it. You know, we do it because we just want to tell a story and because we enjoy making films. And because, you know, the actors and the crew, you know, we're like one big family and stuff, you know, we know what we know what we can do with each other, we know what each person can do, you know, um, we know what obstacles we can face and how we can overcome them and, and so forth. And I always find sometimes, even though we have got a, a, a considerably lower budget, it actually makes us more creative as well, because we have to look at an issue and go, right, well, we haven't got four million quid to throw at that problem. How do we get around it on 20 quid? <laughs> <laughs> So but, it's, um, it, yeah, but that, that's kind of the fun of it. I mean, as much as we'd love a bigger budget, right? You know what I mean? But in terms of what we have at the moment, um, you know, it's fun. And, and, you know, people are liking it. So that's all we can ask for, really. And, and you know, the, the, the response we've had so far has been absolutely wonderful. And people are embracing this, this love story because, it you know, it's, just because it's with two guys instead of like a male and a female, people have not really noticed. It's just a love story. Yeah, absolutely. Of, and having seen yeah. the film and you gave me an advanced copy of it to be able to watch and yeah. you, you, you do get that and you, you, you're just following the two characters uh, throughout their lives and all those ancillary people around there who, again, are, are, are spread across time as well. And I think that's a, another nice way of doing it. You're telling a story in two different time periods. Their attitudes yeah. are fortunately very different. But even yeah. so, there's, there's still yeah, some hangover and carryover, and he tells that part of the tale too. Yeah. And you, you don't find yourself in, you know, engrossed in the, the things around them, but the things around them help to tell that story of their love. Yeah. And I, th yeah. I think that's a, another important part of it. You've got to see how, how love will you know, go throughout whatever happens. Yeah, it was, it was a conscious um, effort to you know, remain singular on the story, but just announce every now and again that there was things going on in the world around them. Um, so for instance, you do, you are, you, we do mention the first Pride that happens in London, which is in the seventies. They don't go to Pride, but it's mentioned and it's given, it, you know, it just gives a context to the film, but it doesn't necessarily impact on them. You know what I mean? So we mm. are acknowledging that the world is evolving around these two characters, but we don't, have to focus on that it's more just them still yeah it, it's, it's their great, story yeah, with things happening around them yeah yeah we're just acknowledging things are happening around them but it's not pivotal so to speak 
Well, I say um, what, what it is, is amazing cinema and you've got awards <laughs> to prove that. And that, that must be, again, really heartwarming for you and the cast and the, and the love that's gone into making this. It is, yeah. It's, um, it's, it's been pretty special. And um, I, I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed. I think that's the, the, the word I keep using is overwhelmed. I, you know, it's, we try to do our best and stuff and everything. And, and it's just been a magical journey and and um, yeah just overwhelmed well I, I, I never really know what to say about these well, the, the, plaudi- the plaudits are well deserved i'll say it for you <laughs> the amount of work and effort and quality that you've got on that screen is the yeah. reason why you've won those awards um, well, it's a complete, complete team effort always well yeah so. absolutely and but i think that's again another big part of it it's for everyone's come together but they, they had to have someone at the helm they had to have these characters created from somewhere. The writing had to be done. The direction had to be done. And, uh, you know, you, th- there's no taking away from the fact that that has been, again, a vitally important part of it. So well done, mate. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but, uh, so give us the details of how people get their hands on a copy of You Are My Sunshine. Well, it's on um, HMV, so you can buy it in HMV stores now. Um, you can go online and, and, book, and order it off HMV, off Amazon uh, worldwide as well amazon is you can get it in america amazon.com amazon.co.uk um it is available on amazon prime as well um uh, i presume they're having I, I, the, the distributors have got plans to move it elsewhere as well and, and put it wherever they can and stuff so if as soon as we know we'll put it on the facebook page and yeah you'll find out all about it and stuff really so the story of the film continues in your socials where do people go to for that uh facebook.com forward slash my sunshine movie check out the details enjoy the film Look for those Midlands locations that you can see in there. And yeah. uh, it really it become part of the journey and the story that is here. And once again, as I say, thank you for including me on the DVD. No, no, thank you for having the faith in us and keep supporting us and stuff. It means, means a lot to us, that does. No problem yeah. at all. But Dave, again, congratulations on everything that's happened so far. There is more to come. Yeah. The, this, this isn't where this stops. Uh, I mean, yeah. I think terrestrial TV could be an interesting home for this at some point. So that would be good to yeah. see. Yeah. You never know. I think Channel 4 might be... Someone needs to have words there. Maybe, yeah. yeah. I, I shall um, point the various people to have words. <laughs> but, uh, that would be good. But for now, Dave Hastings, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye-bye. On Friday the 29th of July, Mirth and Merriment will be arriving at the Lighthouse, but there isn't actually a script. It's going to be full on improv. Rob Lane can tell us all about that. Hello, sir. Hello, Jason. How are you doing? I'm all right. I trust you're finding you well and looking forward to an exciting night of comedy. Yeah, very much looking forward to it, to be honest. It's our first time doing something at the Lighthouse in Wolverhampton and it's a brand new night. It's a brand new um, team of people. So we're very much, yeah, looking forward to, to seeing how we get on, really. Yeah, because improv itself, I mean, it works best sometimes if you know the people you're working with. So you, you, you get where they're going with something because that helps everybody. But equally something brand new it, the, the 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 on the edge nature of it could again make this absolutely awesome yeah so the the four performers we've got <clears throat> the other three and me i have worked with the three of them before but in kind of different contexts we've got um lee goodall and matt dibbins who've both performed with me before in the intellectuals which is another improv group that um i am involved with mm-hmm. um, and lawrence saunders i've worked with on a few different things but in the world of improv we were both in foghorn improv at one point which is a long form improv group based in birmingham um but this team of people have not been on stage together before but as you mentioned that can add in an extra element of excitement <laughs> <laughs> and, and oh, I, I suppose the audience get to be involved in this in many ways too 
Absolutely, they're pretty much as important as we are, really, because pretty much almost everything we do, certainly the way that things start, is based from audience suggestions, and then we we run with those suggestions. It's it's short form improv games, so at the start of most games, we'll ask for something to start us off, whether it's a location, um, you know, a relationship between people, or sometimes just a keyword to get us started, and then from there, anything can happen. And there are some games that we'll play as well, where at various points the audience can have a contribution whilst we're doing it, and we'll have to respond to their suggestions in the moment. So that's going to be good fun, and it, it's all about having a bit of a giggle. And again, for audiences, uh, for improv, you don't actually have to shout stuff out. You don't have to be part of it. You just want to sit there and 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 watch. That's cool as well. Yeah, we want everyone to be comfortable. Certainly for this, you know, it's the first time we've ever done it in this venue. As far as I know, there's not a great improv um, scene in Wolverhampton in the way that there are in some other places. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not aware of it. I haven't spoken about much about this, and if you haven't done it, it hasn't happened. <laughs> well, there we go. So certainly for that first one, we want everyone to be comfortable and sort of introduce the idea to them. Whenever we start, do one of these shows, we tend to start by saying, give us a cheer if you've seen improv before, half of cheer. Give us a cheer if you've never seen it before. And those people usually sound happier. <laughs> 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 it's, it's the expectation. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, but that's it. It's it. They're unique shows. I can't say too much about what's going to happen because it will just be that event itself. And that's a lot of the fun of it, you know. And they're notoriously difficult to talk about afterwards. You can have an amazing night together, the performers and the audience. But if you try to describe, it's unlike any other show because if you try to describe that to people at work or whatever the next day, it won't make any sense because unless you're in the room, it's it's very much in its moment. It's great. And I think part of it is the journey as well, because whatever you start with, you never know where you're going to end up. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's it. So the event itself is it's a Friday night, it's 29th of July. It is uh, what 7.30 start? 7.30 start at the Lighthouse. Um, tickets are £8 and are, of course, available from the Lighthouse website, which I believe is, you'll know this, light-house.co.uk. Well improvised, that was very good. <laughs> it's almost like I had it in front of me. <laughs> um, yeah, so the tickets are available there. And yeah, go along, get I mean, enjoy yourself at the lighthouse. And I, I think you're actually in the, uh, the the cafe bar area off of the night, aren't you? That's right. So yeah, I love venues like that but for my music shows, but also for this sort of thing as well. It's a weird one, comedy improv, because it doesn't quite belong in a comedy club but it doesn't quite belong in a theatre. Often a lot of the best shows that I've been involved with are that sort of bar area of a theatre. Because if it's a if it's a sort of rate seating thing, it's a bit too formal and people feel a little bit too constrained. So something in the, the sort of middle of the comedy club and the, the theatres works really well, I think. Yeah, and it's, it's, a, it's a weird one. If, if you're the sort of person who's going to heckle, uh, yeah, make sure you control that as well. Because okay, improv is, 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 is sometimes... If if you need it, you will be able to tell them the phases of the performers. But if if you don't, sit back and enjoy. Exactly right. Yeah, and I, you know, again, I tend to say like we're going to encourage you to shout out, but only when we ask you to. Although <laughs> it doesn't always go that way. Sometimes, you know, there might be someone in the audience has an even well. I was going to say an even better idea. My other son in the audience has a better idea than we do. And sometimes, you know, the best, some of the games are sort of like guessing games where the audience has one up on the performers or on one of the performers. Mm-hmm. Usually we, we sort that out by the, one of the performers leaves the room and we get something going that they don't know and they have to work out what the rest of us already know. <laughs> so at various points, the audience has a lot of control over the performers, which they, you know, audiences tend to enjoy in my experience. 
<laughs> all good fun. And uh, are you the sort of improv group that will take some random props along in case you need them, or is it going to be all, you know, you just stood there in the clothes, you turn up in? Um, I don't know. You know, there's still, there's two schools of thoughts that I like having, especially in that kind of venue as well. So the entire world will be created by our acting skills. <laughs> um, <laughs> whatever else we could do. But there may be a few things as well. I'll probably have the guitar with me as well because these very talented people are even able to improvise musical things at points as well. So that's always a good good uh, good giggle too. And, and once let loose with the guitar, you can come up with anything as well. So that's going to be absolutely brilliant. You know, exactly right. If they don't stop me, I could do all night, but uh, that's not the plan. <laughs> moment we'll, we'll see how that bit works out you could take <laughs> over but either way it'll be improv so it'll be okay anything is allowed so light-house.co.uk so 7 30 start 29th of july it's a friday night get your tickets priced at eight quid and enjoy an evening of improv comedy that uh, will never happen again it won't have happened before in its form and it could be down to you that that classic comedy moment comes along because you shout out cucumber when requested rob <laughs> good to speak nice. to you thank you for joining us and have a brilliant time on the night thanks jason i appreciate it Ravita have done some research and it's found the words that we love and hate because there are some massively fun new words out there that are wildly useful and others which we despise. Susie Dent knows everything about words and joins me now to tell me more. Hello. Hi, Jason. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. Now, when it comes to words, say there are new ones every year and they come from all sorts of different sources. What have we seen that people are, are enjoying at the moment? Uh, well, you know, one of the things that I loved about this research is that it showed what people love as much as what people hate because mm -hmm. people tend to dwell on, oh, I can't stand this. <laughs> you know, this really gets on my nerves. So um, there, were, there was quite a lot of celebration of words that, you know, express our modern preoccupations and the way that we are living our lives lives these were chosen from uh, recent additions to the dictionary so there was live stream for example surprisingly for me chillax and bants were on the most liked list rather than the least liked well yes um, I, i'm with you on that one and they're not particularly fun words for me no uh there was sofa surfing there was simples um strangely social distancing and self-isolating women but i think that's just because it's become such shorthand embedded in what we mean. Mm -hmm. um, but as I say, clearly these were selected from Editions to Dictionary. I think mostly if you ask people, what's your all-time favourite word, they will come up with things like um, serendipity, for example, or discombobulate, and beautiful, beautiful words like that. But this, mm -hmm. this was really interesting for me um, as, as an example of how people are coming to terms with words that perhaps they didn't like so much before. And the other thing that Rivita did, uh, which I think we should really celebrate, is that they're suggesting a new use of ish, for example. So if you if I was to say to you, Jason, are you hungry? You might come back and say ish, and that use is in the dictionary. But what's being suggested here is that we can all live life a little more ish. You know, I asked you at the top of the interview, how are you? And you said, I'm all right. And actually, you're okay. You're not amazing, probably. And you're mm -hmm. not, you know, you're not sort of um, on the floor. Yep. I have hay fever, and... but I've just got to have a coronavirus. So yeah, it's somewhere in the middle. Okay, good. And we are, most of us do occupy the middle of the road. Most of us do have days that are not amazing and not terrible. They are just ish. And I love the idea that we don't always have to portray on social media this wonderful airbrushed, photoshopped, amazing life with sunsets and, you know, filters and all of that. We can just be ish. So that's one example of an extension of an existing word to embrace something else. And that's very much how language moves. So I really enjoyed that as well. 
But when it comes down to some of those negative words, uh, we've got sheg to provoke or annoy. Now, I hadn't heard that one. Uh, mm. We've got something, slang for something. Now, the, the, the F instead of the T has already annoyed me since I was a kid when people used to say think rather than think when I was at school. And, and that yeah. sort of thing. When they start to make the dictionary, that is a bit worrying. Don't be worried. <laughs> Do you know what? The very first dictionaries ever to be compiled were of slang um, and uh, particularly underworld slang. So the sort of criminal slang that was being used in the 17th and well, 16th century as well. Uh, so slang has always had a legitimate place in the dictionary. It's a different kind of language. It's not one that we use in all contexts but very often it's the one that we don't understand you mentioned sheg there you know we might need to look that up in the dictionary to see what it means so it has its place in the dictionary as i say we just need to respect context and um something has been a regional variation for a long time i know some people get really annoyed with i was sat on the wall rather than i was sitting on the wall again in terms of local dialect that has been around for a very long time so mm -hmm. although they can get on our nerves. Sometimes you can say, do you know, we've been having this debate for a very, very long time. Yeah, well, sat, I don't mind. But but sheg sounds like a more positive word than to provoke or annoy, which, which I, 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 I thought was a bit odd. Yeah, but quite often, very often that's the way that slang moves. They love to be, well, I say they, it's usually kids who, <laughs> um, you know, create these wonderful words, often by flipping existing words, so they flip the meaning. And as soon as the authorities or parents have... Um, you can't do onto this, you know, or scaled the wall, then it, slang has to move on. So it is, apart from emoji, slang is the fastest moving area of language that we have. So very often it, it will deliberately be uh, sort of the opposite of what you might expect because that's it's like, it, that's the idea, it is rebellious. Takes me back to my teens with the word wicked suddenly becoming something which was good rather yes. than bad, yes. Although there yeah. was all sorts of things you had to do waving your hand around at the same time to make that work. And I, I blame Lenny Henry for that, I think. I seem to recall him doing that on <laughs> telly, but there we are. But it, words are, I say, they're, they're, they're emotive, they move around quite a lot. And uh, say, the, the, with what Rivita have done here, it really has highlighted some interesting things. And uh, are you prepared to be a bit more ish? Because, I mean, you are quite precise in your knowledge, aren't you? Uh, well, yes, precision in knowledge is one thing, but uh, portrayal on, particularly on social media, is another. As I say, I think there is such a pressure uh, to be, well, not to be perfect, but to represent your life as perfect. So I think the acknowledgement, particularly after the last few years, the acknowledgement that life isn't always uh, amazing it is actually really important and that we can be really honest about that and you know what there have been words in the past that have expressed just this feeling as well so there's a lovely word from um from scots which is probably mobbly so if you were just well ish so it's an extension of the same idea but i think is is really relevant to to now and how we all feel this pressure to be something we're not say that word for me again Probably mobbly. That is an amazing word. That's again, it's, that's pretty and beautiful, isn't it? It's just gorgeous. And actually, there was a word from the same century that um, expressed melancholy or a sort of being down in the dumps uh, kind of mood really well as well. And it sounds just as cuddly, mubble fubbles. So, <laughs> you know, if you've got the Sunday evening blues, you can just say, I, yeah, I'm going down with the mubble fubbles. Yeah, the thought of going back to work on a Monday is a, is a, is a bit mobile fubbly. As, is that, have I just uh, yeah, changed? there you go. Yeah. You've just made it into an adjective. Yeah, that's English evolution in its, uh, you know, it's a perfect snapshot of how we how we move things on. But at least I'm not coming up with, with, with sheg, which I say, that, that's, 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 that's peculiar. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Because <laughs> we can always explore more just by enjoying our own dictionaries, can't we? If, you, if you've got, did you don't, hang on, do you actually sit down and read the dictionary or do you, do you more oh. like to write it? Oh, no, totally. I have the Oxford English Dictionary 
in front of me as we speak actually behind you I can see you on zoom and then I can see the OED behind and quite it, it is just a treasury of, of facts and new discoveries for me so honestly I learn something new every day so I'm afraid I do read the dictionary and uh, you'd expect me to say this but there's so many secret lives in there I would encourage everyone to do the same Absolutely, it's really fun. And I, I, I'm just thinking, right, Vita have done this research. What we can do is we can get some edible uh, pens and, and write words on Rivita and actually eat our own words as well. That might be another thing to try. Oh, love that. Very I'll nice. give it a go. Right, Susie, lovely to speak to you. Thank you for joining us. Great Thanks, to have you Jason. along as ever. But before you go, I want another one word for you that's going to sum up the heat wave that we're having at the moment. Oh, swallowing. Okay. Uh, it's that, swallowing. Oh, that, that, that already sounds dialect. like you need to cool down. Oh, it's just stifling, often quite humid, but it's just a stifling, suffocating, heavy heat. And you just say it's swallowing around here. OK, well, I, I should be using that, uh, I think, uh, on Tuesday when it's supposed to be detoxed. Oh. So now, Susie Dent, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Jason. Sherwell Theatre Company have their second actual brand new production of the year. Amazing stuff. Tristan Jackson Paint tells me more. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you doing? Oh, I'm really well, thanks. I'm on uh, the end of the first week of rehearsals for our new show, Song of the Summer. And uh, yes, a nice calm day after a week of making music and getting to know each other and starting to work on this coming of age gig theatre play. It will be very exciting. Well, yeah, and uh, I mean, Sherwell have done some absolutely brilliant work. I mean, you were at the arena earlier this year and uh, I was in Wolverhampton. This time we're having people travel a little further afield. Absolutely. So it's a really place specific show, actually. I um, grew up, I suppose, came of age like the characters in my show in Northampton, uh, which has just an incredible music scene and always have. So the, the play is set in 2006, one particularly amazing summer of my life, um, where I played a couple of hundred gigs in a year, really. There wow. Was, so many amazing venues to play. There were so many exciting musicians who wanted to welcome you in. I was part of kind of three different bands. Um, and I just found all my friends and my confidence and had the best summer. So what's been an interesting nostalgic thing this week is doing a little research trip around the town with uh, with the cast, the young actors who were, who were playing the roles in the show, who were all about 18, and uh, taking them to some of these legendary venues. Uh, the Picture Drone, where we're performing, which is a gig venue I, I played at once or twice, but also the, the Racehorse, now the Black Prince. Um, these are still venues that, to this day, have an amazing uh, just flow of incredible young bands coming through them constantly. Mm -hmm. Roadmender. Um, the, the, it's it's been amazing to just kind of rediscover these places and see that they are still alive and kicking after, after coronavirus. That live music is well and thriving in Northampton. Yeah, it, it it is a, a strange world we're in at the moment, and everything is sort of a bit half here, half there, and you don't know what you are going to get next. I know that every city centre has struggled with uh, its shops and sometimes the shops are then the things that build onto the nightlife in a place. And if, if somewhere isn't the, if people aren't going during the day, are they going to think to head there of an evening? And I think that, that's, that's a big part of the problems that we have at the moment. And particularly looking back, I mean, you're going back, what, 15 years or so, because uh, I know you as an actor musician and I've seen you in so many shows where you performed like that you've been uh, uh to, to the arena several times and you're often out on tour so it it's it, it's it's reintroducing your world to a load of people who probably know you for something else too 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I'm writer director on this one. And I'm also uh, a, a kind of co composer. Uh, there are songs in the show. So it's a, a kind of gig theatre staging where the, the audience come in and they're stood as you would be for a gig. And it very much feels like a gig. And then it sort of becomes a play. So it's sort of blending together the world of theatre and, and, and the world of gigs. Um, but but yes, I, uh, I, I started off as an actor musician. But this play, which is fictionalised, but is loosely based on this particular summer I had, where, where I got a bit distracted, actually, and I thought maybe maybe a musician is what I want to be. Maybe that's yeah. uh, that's where it's all going. I was uh, sort of applying for drama schools and not getting anywhere. And like I say, I just got distracted for a year of this, this glorious kind of summer of playing in bands everywhere and thought maybe maybe that was it. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's been really interesting uh, and it has been a bit of self-discovery, I suppose, because I do think it was such a character-forming time in my life. I was 17, 18, uh, same age as the actors who were in the show. And it, there's been a lot of kind of art imitating life in that they've come in at the start of the week. We've started by learning these songs, these genuine songs I wrote when I was 17 and playing them together. So that's been weird to have actors singing my teenage songs. <laughs> uh, and then... And then I've taken them to all these places, which are still there. So they're having this weird experience of kind of living the play that they're around that age. They're, they're playing as a band together. They're becoming friends and bonding and they're drinking in all these venues every night. <laughs> so so it's, it's lovely to be able to make something that's so, I mean, it really is a love letter to a time and a place. Um, and, and for those these people who are kind of new, none of, none of them are from Northampton. So their eyes are just being open to the amazing scene there. So is there a Tristan in it or is there a character that is closest to you or are you sharing yourself out between all the roles? Yeah, there is really, it would be funny to say that there isn't. So our lead character, this is what, you know. It's <laughs> <laughs> not making you sound self-obsessed in any way at all. No, no, I know, I know. Well, actually Wednesday was my birthday, was the day that we did this little research trip. And I did think this is a very self-indulgent day for me, <laughs> <laughs> but it was brilliant. But no, there is a character um, who called Alex, uh, played by Charlie uh, Sloboda-Volton, who is, um, He's more like he, he's definitely based on me, but I think he's grown and developed. And one of the brilliant things about this show is it's had a really long uh, development process. So I started writing it in 2016 uh, and I started working with different groups of young people on it kind of maybe a couple of years after that. It was one of those things where you start writing it just because you think this was a great time in my life and I want to get some stuff down. Mm -hmm. But then every time I've worked with different groups of young people to workshop it, and I did a very big kind of project in 2019 in Birmingham um, with the old Rep Theatre where we did a good couple of weeks pulling it all apart and putting it back together. And so the characters, all of whom, there's five characters and, and they've all got grains of little people I knew in them, but I think they've grown and developed so they do feel like their own three-dimensional people. And then that final piece of the puzzle is the actors coming to inhabit them the first time. And there's been some really interesting chats in rehearsal where, you know, the cast have asked very specific questions about was this true or, or you know, was this thing or wasn't this thing or, or is my character a real person? Um, and it's been an interesting negotiation because I think sometimes the fiction is more interesting than the fact and we are collaborating and creating it together. So I like it that the characters have grown into their own people. Um, but I'm also very excited for my wife and other people, other friends who were around at the time to come and see the show and see what they remember and who they identify in, in those characters. So you're not letting on as to who's whom for the, uh, uh, for the, for the family and friends? 
No. Well, also, I suppose another big thread in the show is the Libertines. The Libertines were one of the first bands I really felt, um, you know, excited about and inspired by. And I, so I was in a couple of bands. I think you wear your influences very on your sleeve, don't you, when you're when you're first playing music in a group. And See, so they, I think not everybody gets to do this. I know in your family it's pretty normal, but... <laughs> um, yeah, it, 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 I, and I've, I've been surrounded by music because I've interviewed bands since I was, you know, 15, 16. So the same age you were doing your stuff. I was actually, I was at university uh, doing a science degree. So I didn't, I was out of the arts for a bit, but still nipping into radio. But I, I, I know that feeling of, you know, listening to music, the songs that you hear when you're growing up. So for me, uh, in, in sixth form, we heard a load of stuff from Stourbridge, the, yeah, the, the likes of the, uh, and there's Atomic Dustbin, the wonder stuff, all these sort of indie rock bands from the Midlands. Um, and you know, that was that was what was at the centre of it. So for you, you got the Libertines, and so we, we had the wonder stuff, and we'd find albums lying around sixth form common rooms and things. And it, it, it is it, it the, the soundtrack to your coming of age, as it were, uh, it, it really does stay with you your whole life. It's, it's incredibly powerful, and you have such an emotional connection to it. And for me, it wasn't just bands like the Libertines who kind of made it and had a national significance. There were a load of amazing bands in Northampton I was really inspired by, some of whom I, you know, most of whom were older and cooler than me, and I'm now meeting, you know, 15, 16 years later and going, oh my gosh, you, you were in my pilot, or <laughs> <laughs> you, you were the Departure. The Departure were a really big band from Northampton, and uh, the singer Maddox Jones is still around and, 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 and kind of coming back to the town. Um, we had the Moons, of course, the On-Offs, it was, uh, and just other bands, you know, that, that never really got necessarily any national acclaim, but we still really inspired each other. There was a wonderful kind of inclusivity to the scene where if you were new and came looking for a gig at somewhere like the Labour Club or the Racehorse, you'd be welcomed with open arms. Um, and then there'd be older, cooler musicians who'd go, hey, that's really cool. Do you want to come and try and play this with us? Or uh, I'll get you in here. And so there was just this very friendly, welcoming atmosphere everywhere, which I think is, is possibly quite unique mm -hmm. uh, and still exists to this day. So, yeah, there was th there's a whole um, kettle of influences going on everywhere. Um, but it's interesting to look back on it. You know, a bit like a teenage diary, really, the songs you write when you're 17, 18 and, and pull them apart with these actors 16 years later and think what was going on. You were not old enough for an autobiography yet, really, to be fair. I think I think that, that has to happen when you hit your 50s. Uh, but uh, you will have plenty of stories to tell from these intervening years, because I say the number of things that I've seen you do and the interactions that that will have caused and the, and the, and the shows. It must be you know, awesome. But to, to be able to, to do an autobiographical play like this, again, um, it, it's, it's not an indulgence. It's a story that really does need to be told and, and, and to get the impression across of, of, of what was going on. And it's like, it must be brilliant fun revisiting some of that music. So what genre did you feel you were in at the time and what do you now realise you really were? <laughs> Good question. Um, well, it's indie rock and roll, but there's, uh, if you think about the mid 2000s, we're in a kind of second wave of Britpop, like mm -hmm. indie music was kind of in the mainstream, which is hard to imagine now. It hasn't been for, for years, really. There's always great bands. You could look at any era, you know, in the last 70 years and there's always great bands. But with bands like Franz Ferdinand and Block Party and The Killers and The Strokes and Queens of the Stone Age and The White Stripes, there was just a kind of plethora of um, bands, you know, making the top 10. Uh, but also bands that you could really sort of reach out and touch. And I think that was the thing with the Libertines. When I grew up, I was obsessed with the Beatles. I was kind of, and I still am, I was introduced to them at a very early age. 
so the Libertines were probably the first band I discovered who I could go and see and it was the early days of MySpace and message boards and, and they had this very unique relationship with their fans of Libertines where they would just post some pub they were going to be playing in and everyone would go and then everyone would go back to a party and I was, I was too young to go along to any of those things we're talking sort of 16 17 but I did a lot of trips to, to London or Birmingham or different places and missed my last train because you know they were two hours late coming on stage <laughs> following them around so I think I wanted to think actually that the genre of the bands I was in was was kind of uh one especially was very libertines inspired so we were sort of punky indie kind of thing mm -hmm. I wanted to be fast I was definitely I didn't want anything to be boring because the other thing is I'd like a bit like the characters in the show the wider context around this where there were bands like Coldplay and Embrace and nothing against these bands but the music was slow and it was kind of big and emotional and stadium rock and we were anti that so we wanted to be authentic and fast and scrappy uh, and sort of full of youthful energy really um so yeah i'd say that's the bands that that that's kind of what i was exploring and for me it was always more about uh jumping around and shouting on stage rather than playing anything <laughs> brilliant <laughs> so it's about bringing the energy rather than the accuracy you know? and again i think that that certainly has its place and i think a live gig with that energy is so much more fun than sitting back and listening to a cd and because uh, it would have been CDs back in the day, and for probably the occasional cassette tape might still have been knocking around back in the uh, in the noughties. But uh, are you going to invite the Libertines to the show? Well, interestingly, we sing a couple of Libertine songs in in the show because they're they're clearly such an influence for the band. And I have, of course, had to go through the process of. Asking permission, yeah. So what's what's mad for my teenage self is that in some room or on some email chain somewhere, the band's management have checked with the band if they're happy for us to sing their songs, and they've said yes, which is I can't <laughs> believe. I can't believe. So, so yes. So I am going to invite them. I mean, it would be my dream if they came. Who knows? I know Pete lives in France now, of course, and they've got their hotel. They run in Margate. I'm not one hundred percent they're going to come down to to Northampton but um I, I think it's it's really important for, for them to know actually that they were a really big part of what inspired me to, to to go on and do this and like I say far from the legacy of the the bands I was in which you know didn't make any money or really have any commercial success the legacy was I just found myself you know it's all about self-discovery I found my friends and my confidence and I just had such a platform to get out there and play and I think the, the 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 relationships you form with people that you're in bands with like any intense creative collaboration they are so significant they really form your character and they stay with you forever so in some small part I have the libertines to thank for that and you know if they if they come I'll I'll die <laughs> <laughs> it'll be a good night when they are there that'd be cool fingers crossed we see the Libertines turn up. But equally, will be you recreating some of your look on opening night when you, you're down there? Are you going to go for your 2006, uh, maybe haircut and uh, yeah, whatever it was you were wearing? So, fortunately, fashions haven't changed too much since the 90s. Some of the collars have got smaller, there's less double denim. But other than that, yeah, as you head through that period, things haven't evolved massively, have they? You're right. It's been, it's been interesting as we start to costume the show. So there's alongside these five professional actor musicians, there are about 20 young people as an ensemble who are some of them are musicians, some of them are actors, some of them are both. They're fantastic. And so they're a big part of this show as well, playing live music. And like I say, there's this teenage diary that Alex, the lead character, has. And they are almost like 
uh, figments of his diary. So they, they bring to life those sections with movement and music and physical theatre. And they're all, in, we're dressing them all in band t-shirts. So we've had a great time just finding appropriate band t-shirts for them. But as far as the band goes, um, and I've been showing them some photos of the time, I wore all kinds of sort of nonsensical things partly in a, in a in a in a kind of search to find an image i think that's one of the fun <laughs> things in your band you, you sort of think do we all need to be kind of wearing matching jackets like we're in jersey boys or do we need to be um you know you couldn't play in shorts and t-shirts even when it was incredibly hot that just wasn't cool i went through a phase of wearing shirts open sort of to the waist with a tie, but underneath my shirt. And I'm sure I saw the Libertines do that once and thought it was cool. <laughs> so yeah, I was in a band that did that. Um, I, of course, I had had the long hair. I remember letting my girlfriend dye it. I don't know why. And it, I sort of looked a bit like a tiger. I had tiger stripes on my head. So there's all kinds of, yeah, photos where I just think, what on earth are we wearing? But and then military jackets as well. The Libertines in their red military jackets. I was in a band that even in the heat of summer, would put on, you know, go down the army surplus store and whack on uh, <laughs> army jackets. Odd. <laughs> it's all part of the fun. Yeah, then again, that is, I think, it's a big part of it. It's finding an identity and creating that. And the number of bands that I've interviewed that have either made it, sort of half made it where they've had deals and it's not really gone anywhere, or, or some of them, unfortunately, have done some, some massively big bands over the years. And all of them have come from the same roots. It's a thing. It's 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 a, a group of people who've got together with a belief and some ideas for songs in their head. And I think exploring that and 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 telling the story behind that, and particularly from from your point of view, a few years later, where your career hasn't gone in that direction, but he's still sort of running parallel to what you would have liked to have done at the time. I think yeah, that that's that's another nice take on it because you certainly have been successful in that area. Yeah, well, I I, I suppose combining music and theatre together in this way it's the most deliberate way i've done it and it is the most personal show i've ever worked on you know it does it really does border on self-indulgent but <laughs> hopefully it's a story that is very universal i think that's the thing i've I, I, through through kind of workshopping it and testing it with loads of different people and we're partnering with um, Royal and Durngate Northampton who have been amazing partners in the last couple of years and facilitated mm -hmm. work with the university students and also with their young people to kind of develop the script but every generation I've worked with have kind of seen something in it they recognize and then seeing the Beatles get back film uh, you know over Christmas there's a lot in there as well that is very universal to anyone who's been in a band so I really hope it will speak to people of all generations or of any creative endeavor it's the same as trying to write a play with someone or make some theater or make a film you know it's all about those kind of finding yourself as an artist but also uh, uh, you know your relationships and your friendships are what are so sort of key to, to to building you in that way um so i rambled a bit there <laughs> did i come away from the question <laughs> who, who knows what the question was that's a difficult <laughs> but the important thing is we found out more about the show uh so it's, it's not too far down the road for anybody anywhere. So how do we get to Northampton? Uh, where, where are you performing at? And give us all the details on tickets for Songs of Summer. Yeah, so we're at the Picture Drone venue, uh, which is on Kettering Road in Northampton. And we're there from the 11th to the 21st of August. Easiest way to get your tickets is just Google Royal and Derngate Song of the Summer. They're our partners. It's Cherwell Theatre Company and Royal and Derngate. But if you Google that, that's going to take you to their, the ticket booking link. Um, and there are a mix of matinees and evening shows throughout August. Um, I should say it's a, it is a standing show, so it's like you're standing at a gig. Um, but 
obviously there are access you know required if you need them so let us know if you really want to come but you need a seat or you need a you need a space and we'll make that happen for you um i think that's it yes uh, but you can follow our uh, we're on all the social media channels we're called song of the summer 2022 so if you want to have a sneaky peek at what we're doing in rehearsals and hear bits of the music and we're doing regular instagram takeovers on the royal and Dern great page and interviews and things like that then please find us and uh, connect with us and we'd love to see you at the shows Absolutely, and uh, and uh, we, we kind of got a link with the Royal and Durngate and Wolverhampton in as much as the same architect uh, was behind part of the uh, the Royal and Durngate and the Grand Theatre. So is that right? Yeah, so it's uh, the, 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 there's a nice little link there because I've been to the Royal and Durngate loads of times when we've been seeing shows earlier on the tour before they've come to the Grand and a fantastic venue and obviously a great team working with yourself and then got uh, quite a treat ahead, I think. So it's going to be absolutely fantastic. So give us all those socials one more time. So just a uh, song of the summer 2022, you'll find them across all of them. Well, Christian Jackson Pike, thank you for telling your story, even though you've disguised it a little bit in this, uh, where will be a good fun show as we head through the summer of 2022. Thanks, Jason.
Build Against Single-Use Plastic. It's a campaign. It should also be a way of life for all of us, wherever we can. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Dr. Rashid Gartred and also by Jennifer Carlos. Good afternoon to you both. Good afternoon, Jason. So, first of all, uh, Rashid, give us a bit of the background to What's Up. Okay. Well, it actually started off in a very funny sort of way. It was an accident, I think, that <laughs> made me start this. A literally an accident, because I do a lot of charitable work around the world. <laughs> and I had injured my foot badly in Malawi, whilst I was tending to this young orphan girl. Uh, and uh, she had some problem with her eyes, and I was trying to sort some transport for her, etc. And I fell down a ditch because it was pretty late in the evening. Mm -hmm. And I broke my leg. I'd only been in Malawi two days, stayed on for another 10, 12 days, which wasn't a good idea. Mm -hmm. So I came back here, had a gammy leg, and there was going to be a big, pro big problem with it, and I got really told off. So I had actually sepsis, etc., etc. But whilst in hospital, which was quite some time I was there, uh, I was wondering whether I would ever be to, able to walk again. And the thing that worried me was I enjoy going around the world, helping people with humanitarian stuff and also medical. Well, you, you, you also your medical background as well. You, I mean, you're working in Warsaw Manor still, I think? That's right, still working there. I've been in the NHS 50 years now. <laughs> That's impressive. 51st year now, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so with that, you see, I mean, my main thrust abroad actually is to teach people how to look after newborn babies mm -hmm. because newborn babies in the first 24 hours of life one million babies die that could potentially be saved mm -hmm. okay uh, for just by keeping them warm just by drying them up and doing simple things that people don't know okay so i think there are lots of lessons to be learned out there you don't have to put them on a resuscitate table and, you know, give them oxygen, blah, blah, blah. You can actually do a lot without the high-tech stuff. So I teach non-high-tech stuff mm -hmm. to people there. Anyway, coming back here, I was in the hospital. I saw this program by David Attenborough. And a couple of days later, I was still in the hospital. And this plastic kept on arriving on my breakfast table and my lunch table and my dinner table, okay? A lot of food being wasted because I was getting food that I didn't even ask for and a lot of plastic. So I said, well, once I get better, I will set something up so we can actually look into plastics and decrease the single-use plastic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I got hold of like-minded people. It wasn't very easy, Jason. And slowly we built up a team with school teachers, faith leaders. One or two counselors helped me. One or two hospital people helped me. But as I was Deputy Lieutenant to Her Majesty the Queen, I had support from the Lord Lieutenant. Mm -hmm. And his friend is Andy Street, our West Midlands West Mayor. Fair. Yeah, yeah. We're right. And so why, when that's a win-win situation, I was then able to launch the project of Walsall against single-use plastic. A year later becomes world against single-use plastic and that's when we launched it at the manor hospital and you know from that time we've got lots and lots of companies working with us 
we've got the Miss England pageant, which is where I met this young lady, and we've got 50 countries working with us. So that in a long-winded way is a shortish answer to your question. <laughs> but I mean, when, when it comes down to single-use plastic, in, in the medical situation you were in, there will be some essential single-use plastic. It's, the, it's, it is a, it's a great material. It allows clean, safe, hygienic ways of treating people with equipment, which is essentially disposable and comes with a, a lower impact than causing a, a health problem. So the, the, there are some good things that single-use plastic oh, can absolutely. do. Absolutely. But, I mean, every baby is born in plastic. As mm -hmm. soon as you're born, you have a plastic uh, stuff put around you with your name on it. Yep. You have a plastic nasogastric tube. You get a plastic nappy. So you're actually born in it. You're born in plastic. Mm -hmm. But I totally agree with you. A lot of plastic is good. But 50% of plastic produced is single-use plastic. And that's where WhatsApp comes in. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, single-use single plastic bottles, absolute no-no. Uh, it, it, it shouldn't it shouldn't be needed these days. The aluminium can does such a better job and is so much easier to, to recycle. And once you have got it there, the energy used to recycle it is lower than often some of the other work that you need to do to, to use single-use plastics. Absolutely. Apparently, you know something, Jason, I've been told that 55% of the aluminium that is recycled is actually recaptured. Mm -hmm. So... It's not all uh, hunky-dory as far as aluminium recycling is concerned. But, but, but better. Yes, sure, sure. Oh, definitely better. Absolutely. And if, if you can, yeah, when it comes to just drinking water out and about, which is the thing we should be drinking rather than a lot of sugary, fizzy drinks, you, a refillable bottle that you fill up at home that costs you a fraction of a penny to fill compared to spending a pound on something which you don't need, or for the, yeah, for the sake of carrying something with you, it can <clears> make a, a, a huge difference. And, you know, it, it's... It, you, yes, you might have a, a better quality water bottle, but you could use that so many more times. And, it, and again, it's most likely recyclable at the end of its life anyway. Absolutely. It's a reusable. But one has to remember, Jason, and that is that some cheap bottles from some countries who make them en masse, mm -hmm. uh, they contain BPA, which is a toxic substance. Yeah. So you sh if anybody's buying these bottles, they should be BPA free. Yeah, make sure you're looking That's for that important. on the label. And yeah, but also yeah. buy from a trustworthy source as well, because some people could unscrupulously label it BPA-free, even though it is full of nasties. So make Absolutely. sure you're buying from an ethical supplier that Absolutely. you know and trust. And again, make it part of your personality as much as anything else and, and, and have some fun with it, but buy something you can reuse. And Absolutely. when it comes to the world that we're living in, Jennifer, I mean, and you, you've actually travelled uh, to a number of places uh, with that message. And obviously, you know, you can easily offset your travel for the good that you work that you do when you get there when it comes to carbon usage. Definitely, yeah, definitely. I think a lot of people now are starting to become aware of the carbon footprint that they're making. So I definitely think it's really important that we are aware of that when traveling to places as well. So when it comes down to the tale of uh, you know, what's up and, and the work that you're doing, how does it fit in with you, Jennifer? So I got involved through the Miss England contest and I found about WhatsApp when I first started two years ago as part of the contest. Now I was introduced by the organiser of this and I've always since a young age wanted to be involved in the environment and making a difference, but I never really had a platform to really speak out about the issues that we were facing. So obviously I found out about the WhatsApp organisation and thought, ah, oh, that's an organisation that really resonates with me. So over time, I have worked with Professor Gatchad under his mentorship and have been able to 
gone courses, which has expanded my knowledge. And then I've worked forward and uh, helped people raise awareness and also educate around the world. And I've been lucky to be given the opportunity by WhatsApp to spread the message through the younger generation, but also every generation, because it's everyone's problem. Yeah, I mean, people make light of the fact that going back to when I was a kid, you didn't buy pop bottles in plastic, you bought them in glass. And again, that was something which was actively recycled even back in the 70s and 80s. Uh, we're now in a world where, because it's cheaper from an initial cost point of view to drink out of a plastic bottle, that's the route that we've taken. And uh, there are so many people uh, who just aren't, aren't thinking really. And, and the, the millions of bottles sold in the UK alone that are plastic and again it has to be clear plastic to make it easily recyclable anyway it, it's but it's buying the right sort of thing when you are buying it but equally avoiding it where you can and uh Rashid, i mean obviously from 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 that perspective uh, it, it the, the message is one thing but the practicality is another and it's about making it practical for people too i, I think if you look at the global problem i mean we've been on the on the on the line oh, about 10 minutes so Every minute, one million bottles are thrown away around the, around the globe, mm -hmm. okay? So it's a huge number of bottles. So unless and until we get the education in schools right, which is what Jennifer was saying, to understand that we should not be throwing plastic. The second point is if we actually make sure at the dangers of plastic, because microplastic has actually been found in the blood just two or three months ago, okay? So microplastic is not only on the other side of the placenta, i.e. affecting newborn babies, but it's also in the blood it's been found. So what is it going to do to us? Because it's killing marine animals and we're eating those marine animals. And you know, it potentially affects your immune system, makes you infertile, gives you cancers. You know, all these things are potentially what's happening. And more and more people are getting cancers. Why? We have to ask. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I mean, evolution is going to step in at some point and uh, we, it's going to be a complete change, but we need to make sure that we're not causing that really, don't we? No, no, absolutely. And I think the more, more people tell other people, and I, I always give this example, and I, I apologize if your listeners have heard this. If one person tells three people, and if each of those three people tells three different people, it will take you three weeks to get through to 8 billion people, which means the whole world can find out, for example, that I've spoken to Jason today, if I told three people and each one of those told three other people. Well, let's try and make sure that we do get there and get the message out there and get this, you know, if we can get 8 billion people watching this conversation uh, when I share Absolutely. the video, that would be, that would be good. But uh, uh, what can we do now, though? Uh, obviously, Jennifer's out there talking about this alongside many others who are your ambassadors. Sure. And... What what happens next? How can we see this really come to fruition? With you, obviously, you've got some good friends working with you on this. But uh, oh, yeah. how do Absolutely. we make a difference? Okay, I think first of all, if we could just go to the basics. I mean, in in, in schools, it's the three R's, isn't it? Whereas in the sustainability world, as far as the plastics are concerned, we talk of four R's. You know, refusing, reducing, reusing, recycling. Okay, those are the things that we talk about. Now refusing to accept plastic. For example, if you go into a shop, if I go into a shop and I forgot my reusable bag and they give me bread and milk or whatever, I just don't take the plastic bag, okay? Mm. It's a bit of an inconvenience, but I think on principle, I won't. So that's the first little thing one can do, 
okay? But in time, in time, plastic will change to hopefully reused plastic because I've actually got a picture of a bottle which I took yesterday when I was in London made from reusable plastic bottles. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. So there are, there are seven types of plastics. The one that's easy to recycle is type one, which is called PET. And that is easy to recycle and to make other bottles from it or make other equipment from it. Yeah, because as, it becomes a hard plastic. You can use it to make something which is solid. Playground equipment, that sort of thing could be made from some of these plastics. Absolutely. In fact, you can make a bench out of 2,000 bottles mm -hmm. of water, a, a bench in a park. Yeah. So yes, so reusing, refusing, re recycling. But I think, you know, we, we talk about taxes. We talk about decreasing, phasing out, you know, the phase out. I think we've passed that stage. You don't phase out, you actually stop. Government should stop production of plastic bottles, should stop production of plastic bags, stop importing of bottles, stop importing them, and, and put some value to the end of life of plastic. Because it hasn't got value, people throw it away. Yeah. If there's a value to it, people would return it. In Germany, a lot of people return. Mm -hmm. oh, I, I've seen the same in Norway because they've had they've got a, a kroner on there and you, you, Absolutely. you get your money back when you take the bottle back to your supermarket. I think the younger people will do it. And in fact, people who are on the streets, you know, certainly in, in developing countries, if there's a value to it, they would pick it up and take it. And in fact, the biggest pickers of plastic around the world are in poor countries mm -hmm. because, they, you know, they go and take it to recycling people. And in Assam, in India, there is a school run purely on plastic. So children every day collect plastic, bring it to the school. School gives it to the recycling plants. And that school gets money from the recycling plants. And that helps for the education of children. That's when one way to cover your tuition fees, isn't it? That's certainly uh, a good yeah. way what of a, doing it. I'm sure, a, Jennifer, you'd like to do that when it comes down to I your really uni fees. I yes. That would be you. brilliant. Oh, that's expensive. But, um, <laughs> Am I okay just to drop in there a little thing as well? Is that in the UK, if people wanted to get involved, I know some um, coffee shops and things such as Costa do a reusable return scheme, which is basically where you can get one of their reusable Costa cups, for example. You pay, I think it's about £20 for a cup, but then every time you go back, you only pay for your refill. You don't pay for the cup. So it actually works out cheaper in the long run for people going. So that's another scheme that's being set up at the moment. And that's the sort of thing we need to see more of. So we, uh, even if it's a paper cup, it still has a cost to it. So if you can Absolutely. do that and you've got a cup, I mean, you may not even just use it when you go to Costa. It could be you end up making your own coffee, breaking out and save yourself <laughs> even more money. But, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's all sorts of ways around this one. And I think, if, you, if you explain that argument, which is, you know, paper cup or different type, whatever we produce has got a carbon footprint. And you see production of plastic, as you know, four to five percent of emissions greenhouse gases are produced by plastic hence what WhatsApp has done is we've expanded into air pollution we've expanded into soil degradation water eutrophication all these other things but most importantly from my point of view as a pediatrician i'm passionate about air pollution and how that affects children's health mm -hmm. yeah so i can talk about air pollution if you like because it's a very interesting thing for your for your listeners and air pollution isn't just the fact that stuff gets into your lungs and makes you cough, no. Air pollution gases, nitrous dioxide, ozone, sulfur dioxide, all these gases from 
the exhausts of cars, etc. Children are tiny, small, so they are at the level of the exhaust of cars. So mm -hmm. they take it neat. Just imagine a baby crossing crossing the road with a mother. The baby's in the pram, okay? Breathing neat uh, stuff straight from the from the exhaust. Now, in, in, in particulate matter, which is in this in these gases, there is 0 0.1, 2 0.5, and 10 microns. Okay. 2.5 and below escapes the lungs and gets into the brain, gets into the pancreas, gets into the heart, strokes, dementia, diabetes. Future textbooks will have written in them as causes of those diseases mm -hmm. will be air pollution. And, and but air if, pollution. if you're taking a square molecule of any type, it can cause cancer as well, can't it? Oh, absolutely. Cancers, indeed. Cancers uh, are not only in the lung, but also um, also elsewhere. So, so these are horrible things. And I think we are sitting on a time bomb here. And as somebody says, you know, climate change is running away. It's much quicker than we are changing. Mm -hmm. I think we need to change far. Lots of positive things we can do. Uh, one of the things, for example, from the pediatric point of view is I am doing a national campaign to get the gases changed in the inhaler for asthma, mm -hmm. because that's got a huge carbon footprint, okay? To change it to other types of inhalers, which can be used and are equally effective, okay? But it's just that we have to change our behavior. Mm -hmm. so, and it would be cheaper, it'd be mass produced, and that's the reason why it's there at the moment. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, I mean, my, my university project, I did a, a study of chlorofluorocarbons, hydrochlorofluorocarbons, and other CFC wow. replacements. And, and looking at the what happens in the stratospheric conditions that, that can actually affect things and cause ozone depletion. Now, whereas ozone is great when it's making the sky blue at ground level, it'll oxidize you because those ox you're basically getting an O2 and a free radical oxygen at some point, and that'll do nasty things to you. So, you know, it, 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 there's, there's a lot of the chemistry which goes on that you, you just haven't got a clue about, and this is happening around you. And then these gases, as you say, we're breathing in, kids are breathing in, and it really will uh, cause issues as, as people head through life. And it could start to bring down our life expectancy. Can say. Absolutely. It's, you see, children, for example, in mothers, it's been shown that they get more stillbirths, they get more uh, congenital malformation, they get smaller babies, premature babies. And I don't know whether you know, Jason, uh, the development of the lung mostly happens after birth in mm -hmm. the first five years of life. And it's been shown that 14%, 1-4% of lung growth is stunted purely and simply because of that and that stuff particulate matters getting into your brain of babies and children affects their development affects the intellect yeah so it is a hell of a lot i mean the children are so different the physiology is different the behavior is different and they are exposed to all these things for lifelong mm -hmm. and interestingly most of air pollution even in the uk is actually is within households Rather than we just think air pollution is outside. No, yeah. five to six times more air pollution in the house, even in the UK, where so abroad where they do cooking in the house and all that. Yeah, but equally, gases that come out of, of, of electronic equipment, there will still be, as things warm up, something which, which comes off there, things that evaporate off PCBs and things like that, which can add to the environment around you, which it, 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 say it builds up. It, 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 every time you touch something, 
you're, you're picking up chemicals from it. So we, we need totally to think right. about it. Totally, absolutely. And, and, you know, smoking, I mean, one of the things was, people are saying now air pollution in the house is as bad as smoking in the house. Mm-hmm. I was in Leicester giving a talk about a week ago. And as I went into the talk, there are lots of people smoking outside this building. And I wasn't even going to give a talk. I just invited as a guest. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and halfway through, meeting they said oh professor gatrad will say a few kind words about whatever so here i was stuck you know so i said okay what am i going to talk about i said i'm going to talk about guys that were smoking outside full respect they're all my friends okay now they may want to kill themselves because that's what they are doing okay but please do not kill your children okay so the message is stop smoking for the sake of your children because they are breathing what you are breathing and it's affecting the lungs cancer all the bits that we've mentioned jason yeah and again it's it's life expectancy it's quality of life and all of those things money can't buy yet you can stop spending cash on killing yourself for your cigarettes and vaping Absolutely. so you know, there's a lot going on there okay right so where do we find out more about this campaign and and, and becoming part of it and maybe even becoming ambassador like uh, jennifer we can find out more on the WhatsApp website which i'm sure professor gatrad will give you but it's www.wasupme.com and basically there should be lots of information there about what we stand for what we do obviously talking with yourselves today is going to highlight that more to your viewers so obviously they will, they will be aware to some extent already uh, but you'll see some of the different types of projects that we do have on there there should also be a email at the bottom as well which you can contact us and get involved but as professor gatchard has outlined our four principles are very simple. The first three are very simple to do by litter picking and raising awareness of the dangers of single-use plastics, as ultimately we all want a world that's, you know, safer for the future generations. And we can signify ourselves as well when we go out as ambassadors with the WhatsApp international sign as well, which is that. And this can be shown to show that you are advocating for WhatsApp and you are raising the awareness on whatever you're doing on your day-to-day life. So there will be some emails, obviously, on the WhatsApp website, and that should give you some more information. So check that out. WASUPME.com is the website. You can find out more there, uh, see about the campaign, and find out about the, uh, the, the story of three plastic bottles along the way as well. I know that's uh, one of the There's things. There's a story of three plastic bottles, yeah. It's a book that I've written. I'll just show you that. It's a great book. I've read it quite a few times now, even though it's meant for primary school children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we are. That's the book. And it's for primary schools. And it's got sort of graphic story of what, what, um, um, what children can be sort of uh, told about. Mm-hmm. One, one bottle is thrown on the floor. What happens to it goes to landfill, yep. becomes leachified, etc. Next one is in the oceans, microplastics breaking down, etc. And the third one is put into the recycle bin. So it's just basically that's a story. And uh, it, it's, you can, it's in about 16 pages. So it, hopefully the children would like that story. Yeah. And, and get an understanding of, of the, the what can be done and how simple it can be to do that. Well, I'd say worth us finding out, if not for ourselves, for future generations. But for now, uh, Professor uh, Rashid Gavard. And... Just, just, just before we go, Jason, could yeah. I add something else? Because I think plant-based plastic mm-hmm. is something that I think the government should be promoting. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we, we know for ourselves we can use 
you know, you, we can use jute bags. You know, I mean, I've just come back from London mm -hmm. and this is the bag that I took with me. So, it, you know, reusable. Yeah, natural fibers. Yeah. yeah, but I think plant-based products, uh, scientists have created the problem and I think scientists will solve them, but they need government, they need money, they need people to change their behavior. Yeah. So I think people ask me, what's the alternative? Alternative is those four R's that I mentioned. And there is something, you know, it's not all doom and gloom. You know, we will get it right, but we have to move fast. Absolutely. But time is running out and it's, it's more for us as a species rather than the planet. The planet will find a way of surviving past this. It may lose a few animals and biodiversity along the way. That biodiversity could be us that disappears. So we need to make sure we avoid that. But, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot riding on our behavior now. And there has been for a number of years. We need to speed up at what we are doing. Professor Rashid Gashrad and Jennifer Carlos, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having us. Many of us have issues when we head out and about abroad as tummy troubles can upset our holiday. Two in five admit to having had such problems. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Dr. Sarah Jarvis and dietitian Imogen Wolsey. Good afternoon to you both. Good afternoon. So first of all, uh, Sarah, give us a, a bit of the background to the sort of things that people are suffering from when they're away. Well, we all rather take our guts for granted, but unfortunately, bowel problems shall we say are extremely uh, common so lack of fiber of course and um, when you're going on holiday can lead to an increase in constipation so can lack of fluid about one in seven adults has constipation anyway uh, but of course we also get a lot of people who get what used to uh, you know travelers diarrhea or whatever else we call it but certainly if you're going to areas outside of maybe Western Europe and sometimes even in areas inside, but perhaps one of the most common is irritable bowel syndrome. Now, about one in five people get symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome at some point, and it can lead to really nasty problems. We're talking there about tummy pain, which is often colicky, bloating, and a change in your bowel habit. And that could be diarrhea, it could be constipation or for some unlucky people, it can be a combination of the two. And unfortunately, a change in your diet, a change in stress levels, a change in eating habits, all sorts of changes to your lifestyle can make symptoms of irritable bowel syndrome more common. Yeah, all, all these things can trigger. And as somebody who has ulcerative colitis, I know that traveling can be a little bit of fun when you do change your diet as, as I'm controlling mine through what I'm eating rather than through through medication and uh, it, when, when we do come to travel and, and, and we will eat a lot of different things and uh, uh, Imogen obviously when it's uh, somebody is out and about they are going to most likely be not following their normal diet and probably going a little over top over the top on a number of different things yeah absolutely I mean traveling and being out of your normal routine can really really affect the way that your your bowels work and I think that with lots of people there's a huge psychological component. They get anxious before they go abroad anywhere because they do get nervous about using toilets in public or talking about issues with their fam family and friends because we have this weird taboo around talking about our gut health, which is crazy considering that, you know, over 13 million people have gut symptoms. And this is why Simprove have launched our campaign, It Takes Guts, to try and break that taboo and help people feel less alone and more supported when they are discussing their bowel habits. 
Yeah, and it's something you do need to talk about. I said, I've already added myself as some of those bail problems. So I am used to talking about all sorts of things, including consistency of stools. You do just have to get over it sometimes. And uh, again, so as, as, a, as a doctor, you, you're used to having these conversations. So if somebody needs to talk before they travel, then you know their GP will be there to help, as will a pharmacist too. They absolutely will. And very often your pharmacist is your first port of call. Now, if you've had problems in the past, you may know what is likely to happen again. So for instance, if you do have IBS, you may know what lifestyle factors can trigger it. You may find that, for instance, thinking carefully about your diet while you're away, eating regular meals, trying to stick to regular meals, avoiding too much alcohol, because of course that can dehydrate you. And it can also make you prone to very bad diet decisions, shall we say. But also may consider taking a probiotic because there is very good evidence that some probiotics can help with the symptoms of IBS. And you might want to do that before you go, not least because they may also help with traveler's diarrhea and diarrhea that you get if you have to take antibiotics. The biome in our stomachs is, is an important thing. It, it, it's got to be uh, balanced well. And uh, it, it, anything that can offset it, whether it be that huge amount of alcohol that you stupidly decide to get through on your first night in Neopathos or something, or, or whether it is uh, yeah, something else which can trigger it. And uh, when, when it comes down to fitting into that uh, our diet and adding that to it, are, are the good times to take a probiotic? What's the best way to make these things work? Well, different products will have different recommendations. With Simprove, we encourage people to take a dose first thing in the morning before they've started eating or drinking anything, which allows the bacteria to transit through the stomach and get down into the colon where it can really make a difference. So with Simprove specifically, it's a first thing in the morning, wait 10 minutes, carry on, but it will be different for every product out there. But do check those out. And is this something that you can take with you? So it's improved, definitely. I think that you just have to be, um, you have to be a bit of a planner. You have to think ahead because improved needs to be stored in the fridge once it's open. But before that, you can just keep it at room temperature. So for me personally, I put some in my um, check-in luggage. And then when I get to wherever I'm going, I find a fridge to, to keep it when I'm using it. Uh, you'll often get a, 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 a fridge in the room, even if they are trying to sell you alcohol from it, but there's no <laughs> room to sneak something in there. Uh, and, and Sarah, again, this is something which is about our overall whole health, isn't it? And uh, we say we, we need to make sure we don't abandon uh, our good behaviour when we're on holiday, but we can still have a little bit of fun. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, you know, we always talk about it's not what you eat today, it's what you eat every day. But in terms of the short term symptoms, that's not necessarily true. So, for instance, if you're going somewhere outside Western Europe or Australia or the USA, then I always suggest that my patients stick by the mantra, boil it, peel it, cook it or forget it. And please <laughs> don't forget that things like, say, ice, even if you're having a bottled drink, the ice that comes with the drink could well have come from contaminated water. So do think very carefully about when you look at those very tempting looking street foods and things, then just think about what they may have been washed in. Stick to cooked foods or stick to things where you know that they're going to be safe. And it could be just you're not used to to what's in there, and the locals are getting doses of this all the time. So you know they 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 don't don't have any ill effects from it. But it, your delicate stomach may be uh, the thing that uh, that can catch you out there. So avoid going in, down that route. Think about what you're consuming, but also say plan, prepare ahead, and take away some of the anxiety by knowing you've done something too. Absolutely. And let's not forget, of course, that in the same way that you can't be certain that you've got a fridge in your room, not all hotels in every country will have their own bathroom. So just make sure in advance and that will make you feel much more confident. 
Yeah, and uh, so whether you have an existing condition or you are prone to having a, a tummy trouble or two when you travel, uh, there are things that you can do to try and offset that and yeah, make sure we uh, yeah, look after ourselves. So first of all, Sarah, I mean, obviously we talk to our, our pharmacist and then GP if necessary. Uh, any other tips for us before we travel? Well, if you want more information on generally having a healthy gut, you can go to www.simprove.com. But otherwise, if you've got an existing gut condition, for instance, there's the Crohn's and Colitis website, which has their can't wait cards in case you need the toilet urgency and urgently, and they're available in 30 languages. And then on bathroomcity.co.uk, uh, there are 62 languages in which you can ask for a toilet urgently. And sometimes people can just tell by the look on your face as well. Uh, uh, Imogen, any other tips from you? Um, no, I think Sarah's covered that all. We've got our It Takes Gut Summer Hub on Simprove website, which has got loads of nice articles and little blog posts to read to put people at ease before they go travelling. So S-Y-M-P-R-O-V-E is a spelling on Simprove. Check that out. See how uh, getting your, uh, your gut in a good floral condition and taking a probiotic with you can make a massive difference on your holiday and you can feel good about yourself as you have a brilliant time. Dietitian Imogen Wolsey and Dr. Sarah Jarvis, thank you both for joining us. Thank you Thanks so very much. much. That's a lot for this week. Thank you so much for joining me back with episode 683 next week. I'll see you then. Good off now. Goodbye from the milk bar. 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 Yeah. Goodbye from the milk bar. Yeah.